This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. Coming up today, we'll look back on that narrow win in the end, the comeback win against Nottingham Forest. We'll talk about the protests against the Glazer ownership of Manchester United after the game as well. Laurie and I were there to see that. And we'll also bring you right up to date with the latest transfer news because there's lots going on with just a few days left in this transfer window. We've got tons of your questions to work in as well. So listen out for that. With us today, Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell. Um, before we get into it then, I need to remind you that it's the last few days now to buy tickets for our live show in Manchester. It's September the 4th at New Century. Go to myticket.co.uk. They're only on sale for just a few more days, so this is your last chance to get those tickets. Dublin sold out, London sold out, as we've said before. Uh, but you can buy for Belfast, which is Monday the 16th at the Limelight 1. Search for Talk of the Devils Live on Ticketmaster. We'd love to see you there. Right, let's get into it then. Laurie, you were there like I was. Chaos, wasn't it? Yeah, absolute chaos. I mean, four minutes in, I don't know what you were thinking, but I'm sort of looking at the director's box to our left. I'm, I'm sort of scanning the uh, the fans. I'm hearing what people are saying. And uh, yeah, they were quite angry. Um, I think the defensive lapses are really concerning and we can get into that a little bit. But I don't know what, what you guys think. Overall, the emotion, I think one of kind of satisfaction or at least uplifting uh, an emotion given the fact that United actually came from behind to win you know and that was one question that I asked Ten Hag after the game you know what is your overriding uh, reaction to that you know is it that actually we've got a a serious job on our hands here because you know going 2-0 down at home to Nottingham Forest you got Arsenal next week if you play like that defensively then you'd imagine they'd, they'd pick United apart or is it you know kind of happiness that you've actually come from behind and obviously a win is going to make a manager happy um, but he, he genuinely seemed keen to emphasise that aspect of it given the spirit and the togetherness and the fight and the spirit that kind of thing um, I think Bruno Fernandes personified that actually he was more wanting to lean into the positive aspects of the performance but but clearly there's some issues still to resolve. You've got a stat for us, Laurie, as well, haven't you? Well, I've stolen a stat. Does that count? Can I? Yeah. I mean, are stats copyright? But, I don't know, Andy. Um, I, well, let's not go there with Andy. But um, He's probably got a book <laughs> on copyright. Yeah. yeah, so this was the earliest that Manchester United had been 2-0 down in a Premier League game since 1992 when they went 2-0 down to Sheffield Wednesday 
uh, away from home at Hillsborough. Um, I'm sure Andy was there. And they, they came back to draw that one. He's giving a thumbs up. 3-3. So actually they've done one better here and, and come from behind to win. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of, they're not all, they don't happen all the time, these comeback wins, do they? they sort of, it, it did feel like a fraying moment to begin with. It felt like it was going to be um, an awkward afternoon. But once the United actually started playing, you could see that the comeback was on. Yeah, initially it felt like they were falling down a hole, didn't it, without a ladder, but they found the ladder somehow. And it was so early in the game, just the whole atmosphere around the the week that it had been for Manchester Mm. United, obviously the planned protests after the game, but then the patchy form, the injuries, it it just felt like it was spiralling all of a sudden. Andy, obviously you'd have seen it as well. How do you reflect on it? Was it a, a stirring comeback, an impressive comeback, or was it just the team sort of papering over the cracks of... Of, that are appearing this season already. Well, the Sheffield Wednesday game at Hillsborough, two goals from Brian McClare, Eric Cantona. Wednesday had gone up with a goal from John Sheridan, a United fan from Stratford. One of the great away games. Or, or do you mean do you mean Saturday against Forest? <laughs> In some ways, I'd rather talk about Sheffield Wednesday, but I think people listening might want us to talk about Forest. Unfortunately, Old Trafford on Saturday against Forest. It's a win. That's the most important thing. It was absolutely a must-win. Um, four minutes in, I'm, I'm sure everybody knows exactly how they were feeling. It's to Manchester United's credit that the team came back and, and got the three points. A draw wouldn't have been good enough, especially coming after that um, Spurs defeat. I think we can pick holes all over the team and the worries that everybody has. I still think I feel more deflated now than I did uh, before the first game against Wolves. I think I, Maybe disappointing is too strong a word for the start of the season when United have got six points out of nine. But as you as you touched on, play like that against the best teams and I don't think Manchester United are going to be winning those matches. And coming on top of a very difficult week, it was last week, with the Greenwood stuff, with the injuries, with the protests that were planned uh, and obviously with the defeat at, at, at Spurs, a win was needed and a win was achieved. Yeah, and I guess that's objective completed in that sense. Um, we've had lots of questions through from you guys, so thank you as always uh, for getting involved with the pod over email and on Twitter as well. Remember, devilspod at theathletic.com if you want to make a point or you want to ask the lads a question. So we're going to weave some of those in now in no particular order. Um, Laurie, I said about, I used the word chaos uh, in my first question to you. Um, it's also the word that Josh from Ermstons used in his email as well. He says that his current worry, and a number of the lads I was at the game with on Saturday have the same worry, and that's around the style of play. I just don't see what actually it is at the moment. It seems we still struggle um, with how to press, and I worry that Ten Hag's been here for over 12 months, and my honest opinion, I have no clue what our style of play is. Um, that's from... Josh, like I say, what do you think? Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, when you're having these kind of results and these kind of performances, that's a fair question to ask. And it's clearly some principles that he's got. You know, you talk about patterns of play. You know, Diogo Dalot was, you know, number 10 at some points um, during the game. And he was actually told by Tenag at one point in the first half to get more inside. So it's, you know, the inverted fullbacks and getting numbers centrally so that they can, you know, attempt to pick passes through uh, a deep defence, um, which Forrest was for much of the game. I mean, they, they went 2 0 up, and I think they had about 16% possession at one point in the first half. Um, it was just, you know, clinical from them. I saw a, a, a screenshot that someone had put in a WhatsApp group where it said that Forrest had had. 
9% possession when they went 2-0 up. I'm not sure whether that was actually true, but they definitely <laughs> not had a lot of the ball, had they, at that point? Well, I mean, that, they didn't need much of the, of the ball because it was 90 seconds, I think, when uh, Awanee scored and it had all been United before that. You know, Anthony had had a shot, they'd had a corner um, and then he just has, I don't know, four or five touches and he's, um, you know, obviously the, the feints were what sat Andre Onana down. You know, he didn't have to actually touch the ball to, to, to help him score his goal. What was Onana doing? I, so it was interesting because I was watching it and I nearly, I nearly tried to get my, my phone out to kind of film it because he was high to begin with, and then he just decided to go back. Um, I, I think, Readjusted, yeah. yeah. I don't think he had enough. He, he was, he probably wasn't close enough to try and intercept it. But obviously, that's the one thing that we've seen from pre-season and in the early games that when United have an attacking corner, and Joe Nano is actually by the kind of centre circle, which is you know he would have been able to stop it at source there, but it would have been a high risk gamble for him. Um, so I think he thought. Yeah, Rashford might be able to catch him. Exactly that. I, I thought initially thought Rashford was going to catch him, and then as he was getting closer to the goal, I mean, he was almost—I don't know—was he on the six-yard line? Yeah. I want you when he actually had the shot. I think he, I think Onana was trusting Rashford to deal with it. We all thought Rashford had got there and that the striker had took too long. Rashford's not the player you want in that situation. Okay, you do want him for his speed, but then in the actual moment of when do I make a tackle? Obviously, you'd want Aaron Wan-Bissaka to just sort of scoop a leg out and, and know when to intercept. But Rashford sort of seemed a little bit uncertain. And, and fair enough, because he's the last man. If he brings him down, you know, he's, he's risking a red card if, if he's not trying to go for the ball in the box anyway. Um, so I think, yeah, it was a combination. I mean, that, that whole system needs to be looked at. Because clearly, Wan-Bissaka is the deepest defender, usually at corners anyway. But it did have a little bit of that, you know, Istanbul classic Sahir vibe about it where they've sort of just broken away and you're like wow how, how is Anthony Ericsson and Rashford the three players sort of chasing back Anthony like pulled wide for yeah. Rashford to, to win the second <laughs> ball I was like what they just didn't see, well, that, it goes back to that They're chaos doesn't it, it yeah like what what, yeah. what was you, usually you'd think uh, an attacking set piece should have everybody knowing their roles and responsibilities and it seemed like something had gone wrong somewhere so yeah I suppose you can point that at, at Ten Hag you know on the coaching side of things you know what, what was going on there Ten Hag has said in pre-season that he wants his team to be the best team on transition in the uh, in the Premier League you know in Europe and there's the certain elements to that that I think are showing you know that there's there's moments when United have nicked the ball high, certainly at Spurs in, the, in that first sort of 30 minutes. But against uh, Forest, it's more difficult, I suppose, to do that because most of their players were sort of back behind the ball. So although there were a few counter-attacks that I think you know United looked promising on, um, but actually it was it's more United defending transitions that is the issue. I mean, again, you know, coming from central, breaking through. Even their second goal was was Brennan Johnson um, attacking down the wing and, and getting fouled by uh, Diogo Dallo. So there's certainly fair questions to ask. I mean, I suppose I'd just sort of say maybe let's let's wait until Hoyland comes in and then you've got a striker there who Eric Ten Hag has signed rather than Anti Marshall who's a player that he's kind of dealing with and you can see that he he brought Marshall back in clearly to get Rashford out onto the left. Marshall was only good for 60 minutes. You, you can't imagine Marshall playing a full 90 minutes this season. I, I, I would be surprised if he does, to be honest. Clearly the, the, the thought of having him back in the team, he'd only played one substitute appearance. I mean, the wraps have been cotton wool all pre-season, clearly Ten Hag was desperate to get Rashford, in my mind, out to that left. And, you know, he actually did the business, didn't he, with the the um, the cross for the first and then also the penalty, sort of same kind of run, cutting in. That's what he's really good at. And that's what he, he doesn't have the scope to do as much of when he's centre-forward. Yeah, I've got some questions on Martial, which I'll, I'll get to in a moment. But Andy, just first of all, on the 
The development of Manchester United under Ten Hag. I think we even had a tweet. Yeah, Darren says, why do we seem to have taken a huge step backwards? Um, and, and then again goes over the style of play. Andy, what do you think? I can see why he's asking that. It's been very unconvincing from, from the start of this season. Worrying performances from players who were the, the main men uh, last season. Wolves and Nottingham Forest, who've both run right through Manchester United's midfield would be a major achievement for either of those teams if they finish in the top half of the table this season. So what's going to happen when decent sides come to Old Trafford? Casimiro has had big issues marking space. The integration of Mason Mount didn't go smoothly in the first couple of games. And now he's out injured. Ten Hag said before the Forest game that he wanted his team to run more. Um, so that leads into issues about about fitness and lingering doubts about whether the preseason w- was too too energy sapping. Uh, the team did run more on Saturday. I think they kept the tempo back. Were helped by the fact that Nottingham Forest kept giving the ball back, and Forest sat back as well until they they, they went down. Uh, did United have a front three to break them down? Not really. Complete lack of cohesion. So far from Manchester United strikers, look at where the goals have come from. A defender and and free midfielders. The team to me looks like one which needs runners in the middle. Instead, we're watching other teams come to Old Trafford with runners in the middle. I think there were moments on Saturday where Casemiro was picking out some beautiful passes. We, I think it was his, his, his best performance, um, although he set the bar low in his... First yeah, two games in the great No, no, it's season. not. It's not. It's yeah. not at all. And we can pick holes in in pretty much all of them. Um, well, I know we'll talk individually about other players. Um, Anthony did mix a play up, put a lovely ball through to to Fernandez, but he can also frustrate. I think there's still a lack of discipline. Um, when I watch midfielders run past Casemiro, I'm just like, whoa, what is happening here at Old Trafford? So, what is United style at the moment? <laughs> There isn't one. And one has got to come. It came together pretty quickly last season. After those two opening defeats, United went on a on a run, which was pretty convincing. Not only was it wins, by the time United went to Chelsea in the October, United were going for a win. This wasn't sitting back and hoping to hit teams on the counter. This was Manchester United trying to dominate the match. And I think people then thought, Ten Hag's really on top of this. Uh, I'm now hearing murmurings about Ten Hag, which is fine. It's if your team aren't playing well, the manager's going to be critiqued as well. But six points out of nine, does this team look worthy of six out of nine so far? Not at all. No, but that's the most important stat of all, isn't it? How many points are on the board? Um, right, let's do Martial then, because again, we had, like I said, lots of questions on this. This is from Lynn. Just wondering, from being at the games, what's your uh, viewpoint? Has Martial lost that yard? of pace or is it coming across like on telly that he's afraid to push the run in case he gets injured? Uh, 15 minutes before the game I I tweeted I feel so conflicted about Anthony Martial as a player you know he can be brilliant but there are so many buts I'll probably still tweet this when he's 38 and starting once in a while for Manchester United that tweet did not age well at all because he was probably Manchester United's poorest player against Forest, as you've alluded to, it helped Marcus Rashford play on the left. This team needs a striker. It needs Erasmus Hoyland to get in there and to start playing well. You'd love to say that 
Hoyland deserves time, and of course he does, but in other ways he doesn't. He deserves it, but he's not going to get it because such is the desperation for Manchester United to have a, a number nine. I, I looked back at, at Martial's stats last season. I was actually surprised at how much he played towards the end of the season because he's become a little bit comedic in he's always injured. And I still hold, part of me still holds out for these little moments that we saw against Forest last time away in the league um, last season. But they're so few and far between to be playing as a regular starter. For, for Manchester United. You very rarely hear Eric Ten Hag talk down of any of his players and he knows that somewhere inside there there's a very good play with Anthony Martial but if Manchester United would have received a decent offer for him at any point in the last few years he would have been sold. Didn't help himself at all when he went to Seville on loan. Really disappointing when he went there. Do I think it's him finished as a United player? No, I still think he'll get chances because, because of A, a shortage of other players and B, Look at the other forwards. There is Jaden Sancho outstanding at the moment. Anthony, you know, there's room for someone to find form somewhere amid the forwards of Manchester United. Yeah, someone has to find form, don't they? At some point, hopefully. Um, Laurie, on the fitness point um, that Lynn made, Casey also has been in touch, making the same point, saying he looks afraid to put the put the burners on, and obviously he's had a lot of injuries over the last twelve months and beyond that. Do you think there is an element to that? Have you heard anything about how his actual conditioning is at the minute? I've not heard anything specific to that point, but I think it's a fair assessment to make that he is going to try and protect himself from making those explosive bursts that can cause those mus- muscle problems that he's had, you know, hamstrings, um, thigh. He's had different issues, hasn't he? And I think it was clear f- as, a, as a plan before the game that he was going to come off on 60 minutes because as soon as the board went up he was like you know straight over probably moving the quickest he's moved uh, during the game <laughs> to the sidelines and Tenard clearly will, will it will use him as and when he feels like he, he can uh, I think you know it, it was just startling how he was on tour with them in America everywhere and never got a single second of, of action and I think that was probably Tenard just thinking I don't want to risk him in this moment when the games don't matter I can, it would be great to get him into groove with things but I had that last pre-season and then look what happened so actually I'd rather just sort of protect him now and he's clearly protecting his own body as well if it means then I can actually start him you know in the third game against Forest, and by that point Hoyland's training with the team and you know I wouldn't expect Hoyland to start against Arsenal I think that would be too risky and, and too soon but you, you know from what Tenag was saying before the game and, and what we've written before Arsenal was the game that they were always targeting so he'll be in the squad I would imagine and can he get like 10 minutes at the end of a game just to cause a bit of chaos and then you've got then you've got a bit more of a balance between strikers where you're not having to rely on Martial all the time and you can kind of you know put him into games and, and, and take him out as, as the fitness dictates um, but yeah I would probably agree in that He's, he's, but I don't think Marshall was ever. Am I wrong in that? I mean, I suppose that Liverpool goal that he scored on his debut was was really sharp and speedy. But I don't think he's ever relied on his pace at all. I don't think that's been his game. It's been more technical, close touches in tight circumstances and and smart sort of thinking. You know, he's obviously a very skillful player. It's just putting it all into the complete package that you want as a centre forward. But yeah, I think Ten Hag's just kind of happy to have at least a couple of options now. Saturday was his three hundredth Manchester United game. And I think it's difficult to get your timing straight back. And there was a really notable point in the, in the first half where he complained that Aaron Wambasaka didn't cross to him. But actually, Anthony Martial, he'd gone too early. He would have been offside anyway. So Aaron 
made the right decision there. He, he's just off. He's just not chiming with the players, and that's pretty symptomatic of the team at the moment. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, next topic, Anthony. (laughs) We had so many conflicting um, messages on this. And I think even the three of us conflict each other when we talk about this particular player. Uh, Just to give a flavor of the, the tweets... Michael, does Anthony cutting inside enrage you guys as much as me? Bob, Anthony was brilliant on Saturday, but no one seems to see anything but negatives. Where are we at, Laurie? I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. I'm not saying he was abysmal, and I'm not saying he was brilliant. And I know I want want to hear your uh, opinion on this, Ian, because I know we, we come at this different ways. I actually thought he had a decent game. And maybe again, that's because, you know, the kind of level that we're expecting isn't that high. But I actually think for what United needed in the circumstances, I thought Anthony delivered um, in the way of... I mean, clearly he nearly scored a really good goal, didn't he? By cutting inside and having that shot and, and maybe nearly isn't good enough because goalkeepers and defenders know what he's going to do. So if you're going to do that repeatedly, you have to be scoring like you know Arjun Robin used to do. But he did go on the outside a couple of times. And I know this is small crumbs and this is like, well, yeah, what well, <laughs> a winger should go on the outside a, a couple of times in a game at least. Um, but he nearly won a penalty off um, Aina in the first half that ended up being a corner. Uh, he did the same thing again in the second half that ended up being a corner. And I think that was the the kind of passage of corners that then ended up um, with Rashford getting the penalty for the, for the winner. So it helped, you know, add to the... Um, to the pressure that Forrest were under. And also, he did actually go on the outside and cut back for Bruno. Bruno backheeled it just wide. So that was a chance, you know, with his right foot that he created. So, I don't know, I kind of feel like he's, you know, we've, we've sort of been here before, I suppose, with Anton, haven't we? But clearly, Ten Hag is going to keep picking him. Um, and you can debate that over Jaden Sancho. I thought, again, Sancho looked kind of sharp when he came on. But for what Eric Ten Hag wants from a, a winger, Anthony seems to be that. But clearly, there's a lot of room for improvement. Yeah, I think there were moments in the second half where, uh, you know, he was, he was impressive. There's no doubt about that. He, had, he was providing a cutting edge and that is the key point, I think, with him, that there needs to be more cutting edge. I think even Ten Hag, I can't remember exactly what the phrase was that he used in the press conference. Speed up, um, he needs to speed up. Or... He needs to speed up. Yeah, and I think there are times when he needs to speed up in his play. I mean, one thing that everyone goes back to with him, and, and I get it, is that, He's actually really good for United's shape and the build-up and this ability to put pressure on teams and stay high up because he keeps possession and so on. But there's still that thing in me, Andy, which I've watched so many Manchester United wingers down the years who do far more than provide shape and possession in the build-up. What, like beat a, match, you know beat what a mean? man and get a crossing? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the opposite of Andre Kanchelskis, <laughs> yeah. but then but football Beckham. has changed. Um I think, well, he, he, he had a shot and won a corner inside the first minute, but he actually grew into the game. I thought he mixed the play up 
uh, and added more variety, which is something he's been accused of, of not yeah, been doing. Yeah, that's true. Second half especially, yeah. actually, to be fair to he him. He was fouled twice in yellow card challenges as well. Does that yeah. factor? Pe- people yeah. are, are targeting him. Um, he had that whip shot um, just after half-time. Uh, I think he made four or five key passes. So I'm giving him a pass for Saturday because uh, I thought he was one of Manchester United's better players and certainly one of the the better better front players. Clearly needs to score. Uh, there's times where we see him do stuff and he's very predictable. Uh, end product needs to be more. Given the, how much yeah, he costs. creative. Given I, th- how, I think that's the biggest issue, actually. You know, yeah. the, the creativity point for someone in that position. The manager's going to keep playing him. He's a manager's player and he costs a huge fee. And if he was seen to fail, that would be... Um, a major negative uh, against the manager and he's had his first season he's got to perform in his second season Diogo Delolari is another talking point mainly because it feels like he's going to have to play left back for a, for a long time uh, considering the issues with with Tyrone Malassia and Luke Shaw just on the side point as well we're not going to find out from Manchester United or Eric Ten Hag details and injuries moving forward by the sound of it I tried to ask the manager in the press conference on Friday about how severe these issues are. He said it was a private issue um, and this is something that that he wants to support actually is that he's quite happy to be open about what injuries Manchester United pick up but the actual detail on that in terms of the exact length of time they're expected to miss, the exact specification of the injury, even like what area of the body has been injured, um, I don't think we're always going to get details on. So in terms of the left back then Laurie, from what Ten Hag did say about it, it feels like it could be months, really, that that we get Shaw and Malassia back available. We've had questions on Alvaro Fernandez and whether he's enough to provide support at left back. The low perhaps being the starting left back. There's obviously transfer rumours about this as well. What happens from this point on, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's um really interesting what you were saying about Ten Hag wanting to be guarded about the actual type of injury as well, because we, we were asking those questions, weren't we, at the game? Yeah. And it, it stems back to. Uh, the Netherlands, where I think in the Netherlands it's much more a case of patient confidentiality. I think also there's an element of Tenag not wanting to let the opposition know what kind of injuries players have got. There was there was a case with Scott McTominay last season where he had an ankle injury, but United never actually revealed that, and they didn't want him basically getting a kick on his ankle from players that are a bit you know nasty. <laughs> so that's a, a fair thing I think for listeners to um, just understand a little bit more about. And then yeah, in terms of the length of time, the same kind of deal really, where they don't want to give the opposition any kind of advantage into knowing when they might be back. Sure, I think it's probably going to be more two, three months rather than weeks, but we'll see. And Tyron Malassi, he said that would be weeks as well um, at the press conference. So as you say, yeah, there's a a gap there at left back, um, potentially. United are looking at the market to see if they can do anything before the deadline. My colleague Paul Ballas got some information on Mark Kukurea, who, you know, Chelsea only signed last season but clearly they've got a lot of players and they've got other options in those positions you know would he be available for a loan that's something United are looking at but there's a few that they are considering and they could still yet just rely on what they've already got in-house which is what Ten Hag touched on and that's you know that's a serious eventuality that you know they've got Diogo Dalot who you know I think we can debate his his performance but he has played there for United previously and then Alvaro Fernandez. I, I really like Alvaro Fernandez. I think he's a, a talented player 
He's in his 20s now, so he's not, you know, a, a young teenager that this might be too big for him. He had a really good uh, loan at Preston last season. I think won their young player of the year. And United have been looking at a loan for him. Granada's been uh, interested, but I, I wonder if they ultimately think actually we'll keep him in-house. And this is where we sort of find out about young players sometimes, when there's a bit of a crisis and actually they get thrust into the limelight a bit and it's sort of sink or swim. And I think he's got a good head on his shoulders, Fernandez. So we'll see. But yeah, in terms of Dallo, I, I don't know. I, you, you could look at it two ways. I think some of his stats are actually really good, you know, in terms of like 12 ball recoveries, um, which was the most of any United player by far. But then I just thought there was a few issues with his positioning. He had that sort of um, debate with Ten Hag at one point about where he wanted him to be. And then as Andy uh, touched on before, that passage of play where Morgan Gibbs-White runs past Casemiro. I mean, so you can definitely blame Casemiro for just letting him go past him. But also Dallow in that position. I mean, he got sort of outpaced by Aurier and then sort of barged off the ball and then kind of just drifted into a position that allowed the pass easily for Morgan Gibbs-White. And it was only, I think, was it Varane that came across and, and, and blocked the cross? So, yeah, that was a kind of concerning defensive aspect to me. But the ultimate fact is that United might end up just keeping Dallow and Fernandez. Just on Varane as well, it sounded like after the game that he should be okay for our Arsenal. It sounded more like it was a, a precautionary change uh, than anything else to to protect him. Another player, obviously, with with history with um, injury problems. Um, Andy, what do you make of this left back situation? Some some fans are saying, um, you know, what do we think about Kukurea? That's Gary who's asking that as a potential, and there's other supporters as well who've been in touch. Ankit. Um, how are we asking about, in his words, three mediocre Spanish left-backs instead of just playing our own academy kid? What do you think? I don't think the word mediocre is fair. I've watched a lot of Cucurella. I watched him come through Barca's reserves. I've watched him play for Hetafe at Camp Nou and be the best player on the pitch. So I don't think he's mediocre at all. It's a problem because United have got the, the two main left-backs out injured. We saw on Saturday, Delos clearly... Out of position, his foul led to Forrest's second goal. He totally misunderstood a pass with Bruno Fernandes from that um, 70th minute free kick. Who do you think that's on? Can I just ask you? Because I, I wasn't sure. I saw that kind of maybe happening yeah. and I wondered if so. If that's a set-piece routine that they've, they've fixed, then Dallo should be really yeah. aware of that. And also, I think in the replays, you could see Bruno giving him the eyes. Or is it just Bruno should have been more obvious about what he was doing with Dallo? Do you know something else on that as well? I, Fernandez was asked, I think, directly after the game about whether the free kick uh, when he played it out to Rashford, which led to the, the Casemiro goal, was was a, a training ground routine or whether it was something he just came okay, up with at the time. And whilst he didn't directly answer the question, it did feel more like it was something he came up with at the time as opposed to something <laughs> right. that was perfectly planned out before, which which I'm so... There's so many layers to that. Is that... Is that him not answering it properly because it was something they did on the training ground or is it him then covering for the fact that he just made it up? I don't know. Okay, you think it's a double bluff? You, you would assume that two compatriots stood in proximity <laughs> to each other, able to converse in a language good friends, that by the none way, of the well. other players yeah. can converse in. I'm sure Forrest have got a few Portuguese speakers, somehow... Andy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, yeah. That they can somehow communicate to each other and it didn't break down. That was a really good goal-scoring opportunity for yeah. Manchester United. Yeah. And had it come off, then great, we would have been singing the praises. But it didn't do. With, with Fernandes and with Laurie, um, really good loan period for Preston last season in the Championship. The Championship is not the Premier League. I think technically he looks excellent. I think he played 42 games last year. We all expected him to go on loan. If that's to Granada, then he's moving up a level again. 
he's doing the Andreas Pereira thing, he's going to play La Liga football, maybe needs must, but Eric Tenag is the one watching him every day. I love the idea of Fernandes coming in and establishing himself or, or doing really well, but I'm not watching him every single day. With Cucurella, I've rated him as I've said. He's not played a minute for Chelsea so far this season. And would Chelsea be predisposed to help rivals Manchester United? I know that there's been times when United went for Pulisic last year, for example, and Chelsea were like, no, your main rivals, we don't want to deal with you. Once Chelsea had passed the 1,000 player mark, <laughs> then they had to start releasing some of the players. Let's see what happens on that one this week. There's a couple of other left-backs yeah. linked in as well. One last point then to do on transfers, that's outgoings. Dean Henderson, at Laurie, you've written about this on The Athletic. What's the latest with, with him leaving? Yeah, he um, was at the game, obviously, at Old Trafford uh, on Saturday and then um, went down to uh, Crystal Palace to have his medical. Um, United had agreed to that. Um, the fee agreed, 15 million plus 5 million in add-ons and a sell-on um, percentage. So, I don't know, we can debate whether that's a, a good fee for him, but clearly there's been... Um, a delay to him leaving because of the fact that he had this thigh injury, you know, and it's been, you know, seven months maybe now that since he played. Um, Dougie Freeman was in the stand, the Crystal Palace sporting director, to uh, to watch. I- I'm told that he was watching Henderson um, during the warm-up, so that's the kind of detail that I think uh, buying clubs get into these days, you know. Well, I suppose if they're not playing, it's the only if way we- you can judge him. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> Unless he gets invited to training well, matches. Well, he'll be hoping yeah. that, yeah, it's not just warm-ups that he's doing when he goes to Crystal Palace. But yeah, clearly this has been something that, you know, have wanted to do because Henderson was never really going to be happy with being a number two so he's going to Crystal Palace I know Sam Johnson's there another former United player um, but you'd imagine that he would you know certainly rival him for number one and, and maybe take that spot soon you know, he's not going there to be the number two and in response that means United can sign Alte Bayinde uh, from Fenerbahce uh, a lot lower fee uh, I think sort of four or five million pounds um, and yeah so that sort of shuffles the deck in terms of what Ten Hag has for his goalkeepers. Andy? I think it's good because three weeks ago, United felt that Henderson, once that Forest move looked like it didn't happen, was going nowhere. And then that raises into the point of, is it good to have someone here who doesn't want to be here? So for him to go to Palace, United can then push for another goalkeeper or two, maybe a younger goalkeeper as well. United have been speaking to several different goalkeepers, several different agents, trying to ascertain... Uh, what their wages are because any goalkeeper coming in uh, is not number one with with Anana. So I think it gets some money money in and um, yeah, get Sam Johnson back. He's a good goalie. Right, final point then for the podcast, and that's the protest. Important for us to reflect on what was a well a, a pretty impactful um, demonstration post-game at Old Trafford, certainly visually. Um, I think the one thing to reflect on at the outset is that I know the 1958 group and others have, have tried to stop supporters going into the game at the start to, to make the make the statement um, of boycotting the first few minutes of matches. But in terms of a, an impact, a visual impact, uh, I thought that the protests after the game um, were, were far more visual and far more impactful in that sense. Um, Andy, I know you wrote about the the, the plan for the protest beforehand and uh, there's a piece on The Athletic from Daniel Taylor about exactly what went on after the game on Saturday. Laurie, you were there. What did you think? I was really impressed actually in terms of the cohesion of it and the the effect that it had on me being in the stands watching that um, because um, 
as you've said, it's, it's difficult to get people to not go and watch United when they've sort of paid the money. And I know that's the whole point of protest and, and trying to uh, make a statement. Um, if it actually uh, hurts you directly, then the kind of, I suppose, the meaning is all the more uh, significant. Um, but yeah, just sort of watching it develop. And you, you could tell, obviously, you know, we, we all knew this this was this was trailed very much, um, that they were going to stay behind. And it was the, the Red Army section above the tunnel. And as the players are going off, you know, they're singing anti-Glazer songs. So that's one thing, you know, to straight away... Right, we're now into protest mode. You know, we've, we've watched this chaotic, <laughs> bewildering game, but the larger issues still remain, and perhaps that is why you know we get these kind of chaotic, bewildering games. Um, uh, but then the, the thing that struck me the most was actually the fans. Then from all different parts of the ground, walking and, and, and sort of jumping the barriers to get into the sort of the Stretford end, the, the Red Army section. So they were all kind of one big mass because that then had an even greater impact, you know, to sort of get together as one. I just sort of thought that was kind of, you know, a real um, show of unity and defiance against the Glazer ownership. And, and it went on for a long, long time. You know, we were still uh, hearing those noises whilst we were in Eric Ten Hag's press conference, uh, which he was asked about the protest. And so I think sort of credit to the guys that organised it all. You know, you had the the uh, green and gold um, balloons going off. You had the, the banners. Um, even even in the East Stand tier two, you had like a kind of section. I felt a bit sorry for them because you like, I suppose... They, they couldn't they, jump those barriers. There's no way you're getting fair, around yeah. to the Red Army section from there. You know, and they had glazers out. So, you know, what impact it ultimately has, you, you're never quite sure, are you? Because, you know, Joel Glazer's over in Washington or Florida and, and Avram Glazer wasn't at this game. I know he's been to a few games recently, wasn't here. Uh, they, they are aware of the protest going on. Let, let, let's make no mistake about that. What impact that has on what decisions they make, and in terms of also the ownership of the club, um, you know, I don't know, but I think it's a, a fair point for people who have these strongly held opinions to be able to show them in such a visual way. I think you know that's a credit to them. Interesting, Andy, that they chose a match that was three o'clock on a Saturday as well, because in terms of a, a, a global audience, obviously eyes would have been on the Manchester United game, but it couldn't be broadcast in the UK. Uh, which meant that you you know you didn't have these post game scenes of of Sky or TNT's coverage with obviously all those protests going on in the background. You'd have heard that if they didn't cover it, which I'm sure they would have done. What did you think about the impact of of the protests on Saturday? I thought it worked, and I don't think that previous protests where people have arrived late or left early have had the same impact as what happened on Saturday. I think while the game. Uh, was a 3pm kickoff and, and not broadcast in the UK. It was picked up on uh, Match of the Day on BBC One, which is uh, a very popular programme. They picked up on it. I think all the journalists who cover Manchester United picked up on it. I think visually it looked good. I think estimates of what, six, 7,000 people is a considerable number of people. Yeah, it's highest point, definitely. That's only 10%. So what are the other 90% thinking? You know, because if they'd stayed for 10 minutes, the ground would have stayed full. Then that would have been an even stronger statement. So that six or 7,000 people um, stayed, were vocal, were visual, was picked up on. So I think uh, the protest worked. And I spoke to the people planning it in the lead up to the game. They can easily do it again. I think if they did it again, the numbers would grow. I think that peaceful protest is is a right living in a democratic society. Manchester United completely accept this. I think that most of the people within the club and even the stewards would actually have sympathies with the people. They would probably like to see the end of the Glazers uh, as well. So 
I think it, it, it worked. Will it change anything? Well, Manchester United played, what, four games in the United States. I think one Glazer family member was present at one of them, and that was it. So they're used to this. They've been used to this for a long, long time. I've heard people say they just don't care. They just don't care. They're just completely thick-skinned and they don't care. But I think it worked and I think it was worth doing. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on this definitely and see if it's a tactic that the 1958 group of Manchester United fans use moving forward. But that's it for today for Talk of the Devils. Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell, thank you very much. We'll be back on Friday uh, with the very latest on Manchester United's deadline day business because it will be deadline day. It's gone quick. Uh, this transfer window in some ways um, on Friday. We'll also be looking ahead, of course, to the game against Arsenal and, rather excitingly, reflecting on Manchester United's draw in the Champions League. It's back. Um, remember, sign up now to The Athletic. We've got a new offer for a limited time and that's $1 or £1 a month for the first 12 months. Just head to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But for the moment, thank you for listening. Thanks for your questions and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.